It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, as well as the mobile app. You could also hear us on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we will recap all that has happened in the latest assistant coach media sessions earlier today. We'll also get into some team news, and there is some injury news that is extremely meaningful as to how the Giants' depth chart is going to play out. So a lot to tackle over these next 60 minutes in multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also go the route of social media, hashtag Giants Chat. You can directly tweet at us, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Paul, how's everything on your end on this Wednesday? Well, things were really sunny this morning until that injury news came down, and now I think it's rather gloomy over East Rutherford. And you know what I mean, Lance? Uh, I guess you had to figure that at some point in time, a lot of NFL teams are going to suffer some type of injury bug because, let's face it, it's a very weird season, a weird off season to begin with, and it's only going to get more strange as we go through the regular season. I just think from the Giants' perspective, Xavier McKinney was going to be a very big part of what they wanted to do. There's no doubt about it, and let's get right to that news. So McKinney, who was the team's second-round pick this year out of Alabama, he has suffered a fracture to his left foot. The team announcing this right before we were set to go on the air, and the Giants have released a statement on their website. He's scheduled to undergo surgery later this afternoon at hospital for special surgery. Then, on top of that... Linebacker David Mayo has a torn meniscus in his left knee. He's scheduled to undergo surgery tomorrow. So both players suffering injuries that is going to require them to go under the knife. McKinney was certainly in line, as you just alluded to, Paul, for a big year at the safety position. Mayo came on late last season when Alec Ogletree went down, and he was expected to be in play as one of the interior linebackers with, of course, Blake Martinez joining forces in free agency. And we already talked about, Paul, how young this defense is. Well, now the youth movement is really going to be called upon to fill in for these two players. Well, to be honest with you, I think you're probably looking at veterans who might wind up having to step into those shoes. Now, for example, you look at Sean Chandler, who's one of the Giants' backup safeties. He may be in line now to compete for reps. Montre Hardage, a veteran from the Dolphins, who was uh, with Patrick Graham last season. I suspect he is going to be in line now to compete for some safety reps. Uh, Christian Angulo probably has an opportunity to maybe work a little bit at safety because he's got length and size. Uh, Drayvon Askew Henry was a safety in college before he went to the XFL and became a cornerback. Uh, Jaron Williams, a guy who's really impressed this coaching staff during the early portion of training camp, uh, he's been playing a lot of corner, but they've said they think that he's got somewhat of a similar type of body to Julian Love and could also potentially play some safety. All of these guys, even Chris Williamson, their seventh-round yeah. pick from the draft, uh, has the potential because he's played some safety and some corner during his collegiate career. All of these guys are now in the mix. Again, Chandler and Hardage uh, being the two guys who at least have some NFL experience. 
Nate Ebner is another player, by the way, that's on the roster. I know he's mainly a special teamer, but he can play the safety position, so that certainly is an option as well. I think my first takeaway here is Julian Love, who's looked at as a versatile player who certainly could be moved around. I would think right now, because a number of the guys that you mentioned also are known for their cornerback play, that Love, because of the McKinney injury, may be asked to play strictly more safety than perhaps him being moved around as we had anticipated this season. Well, I think the bigger impact is do the Giants now reduce the potential of that three-safety package that I think so many of us have talked about over the course of the last couple of months. Because if you're going to rely on Peppers and Love as your two starting safeties, and you don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in those other guys being the third safety, well, now guess what? Now you're going to have to try to adjust. And that means either you're going to play another corner instead of playing that third safety, or maybe, and again, this could open up things for a guy, let's say, like T.J. Brunson. Who, or maybe Tate Crowder. These are guys who are kind of smallish for linebackers, have some athleticism and cover skills. Maybe they wind up jumping into what would have been that third safety role. You mentioned Mayo going out of the lineup. Well, he was in competition in that spot with Ryan Connolly, who was missed, uh, I guess it was three days in a row of practice, you know, because they got maintenance on his sore knee, which he had surgery on last year. Um, you know, that one, I think, if, if Connolly is okay, they can deal with that because you also have Devontae Downs, who has suddenly made a big impact during the early portion of training camp as an inside linebacker and inserted himself into that competition with Mayo and Connolly. So maybe that spot isn't as dangerous as this third safety spot, which really is now a wild card as far as I'm concerned. Well, the two young linebackers that you threw out that could – be experimental options at safety, specifically T.J. Brunson and Tate Crowder, you know, they're going to now move up the depth chart on the interior linebacker position because, as you mentioned, Connolly has been moving along slowly given the fact that he's coming back from that significant torn ACL. And, you know, there's a lot of young guys behind Mayo and Martinez when it comes to the linebacker position. And some of the other guys that we've talked about are mainly outside guys like a Devontae Downs, Cam Brown. We'll see where they move him around. Josiah Tawafa is another player, but we're talking about not a lot of experience. So Mayo was by far one of their most experienced interior linebackers going back to his days with the Carolina Panthers. And I think the goal was between Mayo, Martinez, and Connolly, you have a nice rotation. Now all of a sudden, guy like Crowder and Brunson, who they were planning on moving along slowly and getting a better grasp of the team and the scheme, now they all of a sudden may see some reps beyond special teams in the early goings of this season. Well, I disagree with you, Lance. Connolly is an inside linebacker. He's not an outside guy. So you do have some depth there as long as his knee holds up. And Devontae Downs, who had been an outside linebacker from his days with the Vikings, has been inside during the course of training camp. And it's clear that they, they prefer him in there. So, so he's not an outside guy anymore. He's now a converted inside guy. And then the other guy who uh, has certainly seen some work on the inside over the course of the summer is uh, Lorenzo Carter. Uh, they, they've, they've kind of fussed with him a little bit and tried to see if they can maybe get him to play some multiple roles as well. I don't see Carter being a standard, regular base defense inside linebacker. That's not going to happen. He is their starting strong side backer without question. But I do think there will be packages where you will see him move to the inside. 
Well, and a lot of this is also dependent on how often Patrick Graham has four linebackers on the field, too. No because, doubt. you know, in this day and age, you don't necessarily see the four linebackers on the field for every single down. They could get away with, you know, circumventing the injuries if they're not going to rely on four linebackers consistently. So that's another thing to at least keep in mind. And hopefully some of these guys that can be that linebacker slash hybrid safety can give them some freedom and flexibility within the scheme. But clearly, as you're getting set for the start of the season, we're closing in on about two weeks away. Last thing you want to hear about is your high second round pick being at least out for the time being. We don't know a timeline until obviously he has surgery, but just to give you an idea, and we were talking about this before we came on the air, Derwin James, who also is a safety, uh, very high pick in the first round, 17th overall, I believe, by the Chargers a few years ago, who has made quite the impact. He suffered a foot injury. It was a stretch fracture in his right foot August 15th last season. He actually had to have surgery as a result of that, and it took him about three months to recover because he went on IR and was not activated until November 30th, 2019. So we're just throwing that out there. We don't know the significance of the foot injury for McKinney. The Giants haven't specified that, but I think if you take into consideration what Derwin James went through, I think he at least need to anticipate and plan that it's possible he may not be returning, if any, until November at this point. Well, I'm going to turn back the history books. You remember Jeremy Shockey had a similar situation back in 2004, and he had surgery uh, in June of that, of that year, and he did come back and started practicing in training camp in August. So from middle of June, July, into August, it was two months for him. That is going to be the most optimistic estimate that you're going to get from anybody as far as I'm concerned because I remember when Shockey went through it we were all like wow two months he's already back there on the field there was a lot of doubt whether he would be ready for the beginning of training camp and there it was in the middle of August and Shockey was on the field practicing he was sore but he was doing it so I would say just without any any medical evidence whatsoever or any more uh, of an explanation from the Giants, I would think that realistically you're a minimum of two months, probably more like three based on the evidence with Derwin James, as you said. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll certainly get more into what these injuries mean for the Giants in both the short term and the long term, but let's also move on to another newsworthy item, and that is the center battle. Spencer Pulley, he's been a little bit banged up in training camp. Nick Gates is getting reps there now. Is He's somebody that they looked at as a versatile player. Yesterday, when Joe Judge spoke to the media, he described the competition when asked about that at the center position as, quote, scratch even, end quote. So pretty much it's neck and neck. Mark Colombo, offensive line coach, he spoke to the media today, and he talked about Nick Gates' progress at that center spot. It's our job as coaches to give him those looks. You know, again, our defense does a really good job changing up the looks, giving them all these different things to think about and handle. And Nick's done a really good job with that. Um, we got to keep pushing them, keep showing them, you know, everything. So it's not the first time he sees it. You know, we're, we're out there playing a real game now. Um, you know, in these settings, these live pads, stuff like that, all right, it's really where, you know, where, he, where some of his really good qualities, his traits show up. And we just, again, I just, it's not seeing it for the first time. That's really the biggest deal with Nick right now. And, and when he sees it, just like the question with Andrew, he's able to correct himself right away. All right. So that's a big quality to have in a center to be able to correct yourself right away so we can move on and show him something else. So we're not stuck on the same exact coaching point 
over and over and over again that you see with some of these young guys. So, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, love what we've seen from him so far. Again, Spencer Pulley's done a great job too. These guys are battling it out. All right. They both have tremendous qualities up there up front and just excited, you know, in, in the future for, uh, for Nick Gates. He's done a really good job so far and we'll keep showing him those looks, keep pressing him to get better. The more difficult it is now, the easier it'll be in the games. So encouraging how highly Mark Colombo is speaking of Nick Gates, considering he has yet to play center in a game. He certainly got practice reps there previously. They even experimented with him there last season. But if Pulley continues to be banged up here or there, here's now all of a sudden an opportunity for Nick Gates to emerge within this battle, Paul. It's a two-man race, Lance. Let's not make any uh, bones about this. It is a two-man race. Sean Lemieux, who's done a little bit of center work over Shane the Lemieux, course yeah. of this. Uh, Shane Lemieux, not much. All right, that's not that's not where he's going to be. The Giants want him to be a guard. There's no doubt about that, and they're concentrating on getting him ready as a guard. Uh, you know, Tyler Haycraft out of Louisville is a guy who's taken a bunch of center snaps over the course of the summer. But this is a two-man race. Now, Spencer Pulley's got over two dozen career starts in the NFL at the center spot over his first four NFL seasons. I think that coming in, he clearly had a leg up on the competition. But as you know, I am president of the Nick Gates fan club. I did not expect him to mount such a significant charge to Pulley's job so soon. But he has, and more power to him, because this goes back to the mantra that I have used for years and years and years and years. Competition makes guys better. You don't lose. You win when you have two guys pushing each other and battling it out to be the number one guy. That is exactly what has happened here. Both guys have done well. The winner is going to get the spoils, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the other guy was a loser. It just means that both guys pushed each other and one guy came out a little bit ahead. And right now, Nick Gates is making a strong run at that job. Well, and whoever loses the battle is still going to be extremely valuable because if Nick Gates doesn't win the center job, you know at least he could back up Pulley. You can also move him at guard and tackle. So you need somebody on the roster that can pull that off. And if Spencer Pulley doesn't win the job, okay, now you know you still have somebody backing up Nick Gates who has starting experience both with the Giants as well as the Chargers, and you can also put him at guard. So at least either way, you keep that flexibility on the roster. Win-win, Lance. Exactly. Win-win. Win-win. No, well said. No doubt about it. Speaking of flexibility and emergence in training camp, I think it's important to note the play of Darnay Holmes because he has certainly caught the eyes of many people and given the fact that you have some injuries, you have some off-the-field issues that are holding back some of these corners, Darnay Holmes is one guy that in particular is making his presence felt and taking full advantage of of each and every rep. So Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach for the Giants, he spoke to the media earlier today, and he talked about what he's seen out of Holmes. He's been super competitive. Um, He's a really diligent kid. You know, he's one of those guys that you see him out there early every day working on some part of his game. Um, He's always got, you know, really good questions in the meeting. Um, um, He's in a really good place right now for, for a young player. You know, he's got a lot to learn, got a long way to go. But, you know, one thing about the kid, he's competing at it very hard. It seems like a lot of people talk about him. They say that he plays bigger than his size. Is that something that that you agree with? Absolutely. He's got some natural um, um, body strength 
and, and some explosiveness um, that he plays with. Um, and I've, I've been like impressed with the, with the young man as a, as a, as a person too, um, as a student of the game, um, he's doing a good job again, long way to go, but I'm, I'm on, on a, a good early path. So that is Jerome Henderson speaking about Darnay Holmes and what has stood out for him throughout the course of the early stages of training camp. Just a reminder, we apologize if there's been some technical issues in the early stages of this program, but we are up and running here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. And if there's any portion of this program that you did miss, remember, we archive each and every one of our episodes through the various outlets that you can check in on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's get back to, Paul, now what Jerome Henderson just mentioned with respect to Darnay Holmes. It we knew he was a ball hawk. We knew he was aggressive based on his UCLA film. So I don't think that's astounding. What I think, though, is a bit surprising, no OTAs, no off-season work, just Zoom meetings, and you would think maybe the learning curve for a young player, you'd have to be a little bit more reasonable with your expectations. Transition's been relatively smooth for a guy like Darnay Holmes. He's been terrific, Lance. I mean, I can't use another word to describe him. You know, 5'10", just about 200 pounds, maybe soaking wet, but he plays physical. And the one thing that I notice, and, and, and Schmoke and I have stood on the patio watching practice now for a couple of weeks, the one thing about Darnay Holmes, not only is his anticipation terrific in terms of going after the ball, and he has gotten his hands on more passes than any other defensive back during the course of the month. Ditto for interceptions. He's had more of those than anybody else on the defense. But the other thing that he does, he is so sticky that when somebody completes a pass, he's right there. There's no chance for yak yardage. He is all over that guy like scotch tape. Darnay Holmes uh, is not playing like a rookie. He is playing like a seasoned veteran. Now, this is only training camp, and, of course, it's not nearly as competitive as the regular season. But the Giants have to be ecstatic what they're getting out of him right now. And, of course, remember, folks, he didn't start playing any slot until the week of the Senior Bowl. He had always been a boundary corner. Now he is specializing as a slot corner, and he just seems to be tailor-made for that spot. And they're going to need somebody like him to step up. We talked about it all offseason. You've got Baker on the commissioner's exemplist. Beal opted out. Now, obviously, we hear about the McKinney injury news today. He's going to have to undergo surgery. So if you are a rookie, if you're an undrafted player and you've been flashing, if there's any trend that we've seen occur thus far is, hey, there are opportunities. There are reps to be grabbed. There's chances to tell the coaching staff, hey, I deserve to play specifically in the early stages of the season. And one guy who probably has adopted that mantra going back to late last season is Julian Love. Because when Jabril Peppers got hurt, Love stepped in. Paul and I were talking about this earlier that Love probably maybe playing safety exclusively more so than corner given the McKinney injury news. Well, Patrick Graham, when he spoke to the media the other day, he did talk about Julian Love's versatility, and this is what he had to say. I think the thing about Love that stands out, you know, just piggybacking off of the previous question, he is a smart football player on and off the field uh, in terms of his awareness uh, with the situations, awareness of um, personnel the offense is giving us. So, you know, the fact that he's able to see that and dissect that, that's been a good thing for us. Um, the fact that he's played multiple positions, you know, whether he's been a corner, wherever he's played, I mean, that's a positive because it, it gives us an opportunity to use his skill sets, whether it's 
covering a receiver from coming down or covering a receiver and he's down there covering a back from depth or lining up to cover a back. He can use his skill set to handle that. And because he has a, a broad, he understands the bigger picture because he's played multiple spots, it makes it even more interchangeable, if that makes sense. So that was Patrick Graham on Julian Love, and he does understand the big picture perspective. I think that was a very interesting way for Patrick Graham to describe him because if you go back to his Notre Dame days, he's used to adapting and adjusting, especially with Notre Dame having some injuries in the secondary, him going through some injuries during his Notre Dame tenure, and now all of a sudden, whether they ask him to be an exclusive safety or a corner, I don't think it's overwhelming or too much for him to handle at this point, Paul. You know, we often talk about some of these rookies who come into the NFL, and Carl Banks likes to say they're not just add water they take a lot of tutelage well julian love had the benefit of being tutored by todd light and for those of you who are too young to remember todd light spent 12 years in the national football league and basically started in every single one of those seasons for the rams and for the lions even made a pro bowl this guy was as smart and as crafty as any defensive back back in the 90s and he became like a big brother to Julian Love when they were at Notre Dame together. I've had the chance to talk to Light about Love. I've had the chance to talk to Love about Light. And this is a kid who soaked it all in. He understood that the wit and wisdom of this crafty veteran was going to be very, very valuable once he got to the pros. We saw it last year in his work ethic, but we didn't get a chance to see it on the field until Peppers got hurt, and then Love was thrown in there during the final month of the regular season, and I think we all agree he performed admirably well, given the circumstances, especially considering that he was being thrown in as a free safety for the first time in his playing career. This is not a surprise to me. Whatever the coaches want to want to add to this in terms of the plaudits and the praise for Julian Love, I am not the least bit surprised. Yeah, it was that game against the Bears, which was his first opportunity once Peppers got hurt. And if memory serves me correct, I believe we had Todd Light on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We call. did. We so did. I remember actually talking about him and he explaining the upside that Julian Love has. Well, the reason why we're focusing on Julian Love is in case you're just joining us. Xavier McKinney, news not necessarily positive for the Giants as they announced today he suffered a fracture to his left foot. He's scheduled to undergo surgery later this afternoon. No timeline, of course, in terms of how long he's going to be out. And then on top of that, linebacker David Mayo, torn meniscus in his left knee. He's scheduled to undergo surgery as well tomorrow. So we are focusing on that storyline, an opportunity to weigh in. Uh, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. You can also directly interact with us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W as well as at Giants WFAN. We want to hear from you in terms of what you think these injuries mean for the Giants' depth chart moving forward. Let's open up those phone lines. Dwayne is in Texas. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dwayne? Hey, guys. Oh, man. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hello. I, uh, I, I retired from the Army in, uh, in Hawaii and moved to Texas. To, thank you for your service, to, uh, sir. Yes, thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Thank you, brothers. I appreciate it. Listen, I, I, I just want to say, you know, I've been listening to you guys for a long time, and I, I really love what you guys do. You know, you helped me through some dark times, through wars, through cancer, and, you know, I'm a survivor, and the Giants are survivors. I believe in them from day one since I was a little boy. I've always been a Giants fan. I've always looked up to, to Paul 
and 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 you, Lance, and and Jeff, and all you guys, man. You guys do a wonderful thing, and I certainly appreciate it. As far as the Thank injuries, you. You, you you know what? I've been injured. You know, I was in war. I still had to fight through it, and then it's the next man up. So for all the Giants Nation out there, just keep the faith, keep hope, and believe in those guys, and and we got to rally around them. And people get hurt. It happens, and it's a it's a professional sport. I love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, thanks, Dwayne. Thank we appreciate you. the phone call. Thanks for tuning in, and don't be shy. Feel free to give us a ring back. And my biggest takeaway, Paul, from what he just said is a theme we talked about all offseason. This is the latest example of adversity for the Giants, but it's nothing new for every team right now. You have to deal with the coronavirus, the interruption of the offseason, and you can't make excuses because every team is pretty much in the same boat. Is everybody suffering injuries to the degree that maybe the Giants are in? No, but everyone understands in the blink of an eye, your depth chart could change because you don't have preseason games. Guys are getting used to hitting one another in padded practices. And the true test of a team this season is going to be how ready are the guys on the back end of the roster. And Jerome Henderson actually talked about this. We played a cut earlier, but one of the interesting things he said, if you recall, Paul, was he said, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get my position group, especially the guys that are not getting the bulk of the reps right now, that they have to understand Second quarter of week one, they may be called in to be a starter all of a sudden. And that's his job to get them all ready. So here's an example of your starting safety or somebody that at least was going to play a significant role in McKinney's out. Now, who are you going to get ready to step in? The coaches have to have that mindset as well as the players. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, in one way, and I don't mean to, to say that this is a silver lining, but it puts more of an onus and a sense of urgency on all of the guys on the back of that depth chart to say, fellas, listen, we've got a significant contributor here, or maybe even two if you consider that Mayo may have possibly been a starter, who have now lost their chance to play, at least for the immediate future. Who is going to take those reps? They're here to be had. The time is now. If you want them, show us. And... You know, sometimes it's that switch that really sparks a kid into outperforming maybe what you thought you saw the first couple of weeks of camp, and then suddenly you've got yourself a big surprise. I mean, I mentioned Brunson and Crowder before. Now, those guys are not safeties. But if you consider what the third safety, or kind of like the Joker was going to do in their three-safety package, there is the potential that Brunson or Crowder could wind up playing what was known in, in, in some circles as the big nickel, okay? So, in effect, they're an extra outside linebacker, but they've got coverage skills. So maybe a Crowder or a Brunson who have shown some coverage ability wind up jamming and playing man-to-man against the tight end who's coming out on a long third-down situation. So, you know, maybe the idea that Patrick Graham has to just replace McKinney with one guy is inaccurate. Maybe in some situations it's one guy. Maybe in other situations it's another guy. The point is at least the Giants have guys they can turn to and say, well, look, do you think you can do this for us? Okay, great. Come on down. Let's play. Uh, In the past, I just don't think they had enough depth on their training camp roster that they could necessarily turn to somebody and with any confidence ask that guy to go into a game. 
Well, your point about it could vary from game to game, I think, goes right into what Patrick Graham has talked about as well as Joe Judge. It may just come down to matchup. One game, the guy who replaces McKinney or steps into his role could be a linebacker, to your point. And then, Paul, in the second matchup, it could be more of a safety. A lot is going to depend on when they turn on the film and they look at Pittsburgh and they say Eric Ebron at the tight end position you know what? Our safety can handle Eric Ebron. Okay, then you go to the following week and you look at the Bears and then the Niners and so forth. You start to determine who ideally matches up with George Kittle and that's how they're going to play it throughout the course of the season. I think it's going to come down to what Joe Judge focused on over the last two press conferences where he said it's matchup oriented. It's not necessarily plugging these guys into a scheme and keeping your fingers crossed that they're going to understand it. It's when we turn on the film, what do our guys do well? What do their guys do well? And let's play the game of chess. And let's move forward, hopefully, successfully that way. That's how I, I agree with you. I think that's how it's going to play out more so than any other situation in which it's solely this one guy that is going to be penciled in or penned in to a specific spot. Well, I think you would agree, Lance. This is exactly why this coaching staff up and down the entire office is, is their teacher's. Because they want to make sure that guys not only know their position, but that they understand what is the role in the defense and what is the philosophy that you're trying to employ on that particular play or in that particular scheme. When you have that stuff down, you can then start moving pieces around because now guys have the mental capacity to make the adjustment from position to position because they've got a better scope of the overview of what the mission is on that specific play or that series or that game or that week or whatever the deal is. You can't start moving guys around from position to position unless they have a complete and total grasp of what the overall mission is of everybody who's on the field that day. It's learning the foundation first and applying the foundation and then building off of that. And that was also something that Joe Judge and the coaching staff has emphasized before you throw everything at them, hey, make sure they understand the fundamentals. Then we'll worry about moving them around. And when there's a lot of young guys, you want to make sure the fundamentals are secure. Then we could start the experimentation phase. Well, speaking of moving people around, one of the things Patrick Graham talked about when he spoke to the media recently was how do you create more of a pass rush from the interior? And he gave a very interesting answer in terms of moving around personnel. This is what he had to say. To me, when you're talking about the interior of the pass rush, whether it's third down, early down, whatever it may be, you're talking about some push in the middle. That's, you know, you're looking for some push because in this league, you know, if we run around the edges all the time, the quarterback's going to step up and make the easier throw down in the middle. That, I mean, so we got to get some push. That could be with the big guys, it could be with the smaller guys. Um, I think we evaluate the whole roster in terms of that. But, I mean, the more the guys can do, the better off we'll be. So do I like to mix in a, a, a defensive end in the inside? Absolutely, because it's a different skill set going over there, over a guard, over a center. Do we like to use a backer to maybe be the inside part of the pass rush? I think, you know, again, not the, you know, the hardball sacks or anything, but I just think it's important for them to understand what we're talking about with the pass rush. We want to have, you know, contain the quarterback, you know, and we want to make sure we're getting pushed up the middle, but we want to really cage that guy up. And then guys win their one-on-one battles, and that's how we end up getting some production in terms of the sacks, the you know the QB hits and things of that nature. But, I mean, I like to mix it up because each guy, we're going to try to highlight each guy's talent. So, 
know, if Pat Graham's rushing, again, I, my, my talent might be better suited for the guard as opposed to for the tackle. You know, if you're better, your, your, your skills might be better suited for the tackle. So we move, you know, it's all interchangeable, in my opinion. Uh, and I think, you know, the guys are embracing that. And that goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier with respect to it's going to be dictated by matchup and not necessarily solely based on scheme. But his description, Paul, also reminded me of when Spags was here and he would employ the NASCAR package. And we saw defensive ends on the interior. Philadelphia, the Eagles, they also put some defensive ends on the inside. Jim Schwartz has a lot of guys that he rotates and he mixes and matches. So I don't think necessarily that's a surprising development. But his point is well taken that... Even if you want to talk about the Giants need to get their sack numbers up. Okay, that's stating the obvious. But the way you get to that point is guys like Dexter Lawrence and B.J. Hill and whoever else they decide to line up in the middle, Dalvin Tomlinson, if they can collapse that pocket and box in the quarterback, that may not show up statistically in the box score, but it's going to help the edge guys maybe get a few extra sacks. Well, let's, let's make it even simpler than that, Lance. If on more often than not plays, you can get Williams and or Lawrence to command a double team, just think about how much easier that makes the pass rush. Sure. I mean, really. And, and now Leonard Williams does occasionally command a double team. I'm, I mean, there's no question about that. If you watch, he will sometimes do that. Not always, but sometimes. Dexter Lawrence, sometimes. But if either one of those guys can raise their game to such a level where on a play-by-play -play basis, basically you're forcing the offense to commit two guys to that one guy, which is kind of what happened with JPP for a while, also happened on a regular basis to Michael Strahan, uh, used to happen to Tucker a lot, uh, occasionally happened to, to OC as well. You know, the more times that teams have to devote two guys to one of your defensive lineman, the better off everybody is. So it is important when Coach Graham talks about what can a Williams or a Tomlinson or a, uh, a Lawrence do because their incremental improvement can automatically, by domino effect, lead to a better chance for the guys on the edges. When you look at the Rams and Aaron Donald, who is arguably the best interior pass rusher, and think about all the double teams that he forces and the other guys that are able to reap the rewards as a result. And I'm not complaining about the fact that the Giants don't have Aaron Donald, nor am I comparing Aaron Donald to anybody on the Giants roster. My point is what you just laid out, Paul, that when you have that guy that draws attention, it could be a huge difference maker even if he's not finishing and getting sacks. We can't mm -hmm. just evaluate defensive playmakers based on their sack production. It's about whether or not they're collapsing the pocket and whether or not, of course, they're getting after the quarterback and forcing the QB to go elsewhere with the football. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could also tweet at us, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Keisha just joining us. The biggest news surrounding the Giants, of course, is that two players on the defensive side of the ball will undergo surgery tomorrow. Unfortunate news, but this is life in the NFL. Xavier McKinney suffered a fracture to his left foot, so he is going to be out indefinitely until they 
see what happens after surgery. And then linebacker David Mayo, torn meniscus in his left knee. He also is going to undergo the knife. And these were two players that were in line for starting jobs or at least notable roles within the defense. So we're talking about how the depth chart is going to change, how players are going to need to step up, an opportunity for you to react and what you think this means to the Giants in the short term as well as the long term. Let's switch gears, Paul, and move over to the offensive side of the ball. And clearly, Daniel Jones adapting to this new offense under the guidance of Jason Garrett. And Garrett also spoke to the media the other day. And he talked about the microscope that they're putting on Daniel Jones because he's young, but it's also a new system, new language. And Jason Garrett talked about how he's navigating the learning curve with Daniel Jones given the new scheme. Oh, I don't know that we ever use that word tolerate as coaches. Uh, That's not really in our vocabulary. You don't really tolerate anything. You know, we coach everything every single day with every player we have. That's really what our job is. And that's not to say the mistakes aren't going to happen. They are going to happen, but you never use the word tolerate. You're always trying to learn and grow from the different experiences that we have. And, you know, Daniel's done an excellent job. Uh, He comes in here and again, he's so prepared. He's so into it. He wants to know every detail. I mean, you'll play quarterback in this league or or really play any position in this league. There are a lot of different things that happen over the course of a play, over the course of a practice. There's so much to learn from. You know, I've never been around a player who played a perfect game or never been around a player who had a perfect practice. We're always striving, striving for that. We're striving for excellence in everything we do. And that's really what our objective is. We try to set high standards for our players. We try to give them the tools to achieve those standards. We try to instill belief in them. And, and we hold them to those each and every day. And Daniel's one of those guys who's really embraced that. He's getting better and better in everything we do. Here's the positive in terms of the relationship between Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett, and this to me relates to what he was just talking about, Paul. Garrett has seen this up close and personal with young quarterbacks. He saw it with Romo, and then he saw it again with Dak Prescott, and Prescott, it was baptism by fire because nobody anticipated he was going to start at 16, and because of the injury to Kellen Clemens as well as Tony Romo, all of a sudden, he had to move up the the depth chart, excuse me, Kellen Moore, I meant. I don't know why I was bringing up and reminiscing about former Jets quarterbacks, <laughs> but I guess you never know what you get here on Big Blue You had me puzzled line. for a second. Lance. Yeah, well, I we, corrected we myself because I was like, why did I say Kellen Clemens? I meant Kellen Moore. We but have anyway. all pulled a Feagles every once in a yes, while. Yes, indeed. We, we all have a brain fart here and there. <laughs> no, Everyone he's, he's is great with those names, right? Yes, no doubt about it. But my point is, with respect to... He has seen what it takes to get a young quarterback ready to go, even when you have a small sample size and a small timeline to operate with. So, you know, that at least is encouraging in terms of when you ask Jason Garrett, how patient do you have to be? How urgent do you have to be with Mm -hmm. your new quarterback? Well, I think the one point that I'd like to add to that, because what you said is self-explanatory, is that the Giants are not coddling Daniel Jones. We've all heard about the penalty laps that guys have to run when they make a mental mistake or if they fumble. Well, during yesterday's practice, Daniel Jones fumbled a center exchange from Nick Gates. And do you know what? They both had to run a penalty lap. And that tells you everything you know, you need to know about how this coaching staff is treating Daniel Jones. Okay? They appreciate everything that he stands for. They love his work ethic. They love his attitude. But he is not going to be treated as a diva quarterback. He made a mistake. There was a fumbled exchange. Guess what? Both of you guys, the ball hit the ground. Time to take a lap. And I think that that 
kind of accountability and that kind of equal treatment of even your, quote, superstar, your franchise player, goes a long way with the rest of the roster. Well, and this goes into something that John and I were talking on yesterday's program about how Joe Judge is treating the top guys, to your point, the same way he's treating the guys on the bubble with respect to the roster. There's no differential treatment. He's going to be as hard on Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones as he is on the 46th and the 47th guy on the roster. And that's how you connect to everybody, and that's how you send a strong message. Because I think when the leaders of the team, when the stars of the team respond and operate accordingly to coaches' criticism, then everybody else says, well, wait a minute. If Daniel Jones-Paul can handle it, if Saquon Barkley can handle it, if Golden Tate can handle it, then who am I as somebody that doesn't even have a roster spot secured? Who am I to complain about this? Who am I to complain that this is overwhelming and too much as we get ready for week one? That is a page out of the Parcells playbook. He did that with Phil Simms and some of his other superstars back in the 80s. Phil will tell you to this day that Bill Parcells verbally slashed him left and right. (laughs) Did he ever? Oh, my goodness. And Phil knew it. Phil knew it. Now, at the time, Phil was a hothead and he'd fire back. But over the course of time, Phil understood that the truth was Parcells did some of it for show because he was trying to, with the understanding that Phil could take it and was not going to wilt under that type of abuse, he wanted to make sure that everybody else on the roster was aware that he was going to be tough on everybody, including the superstar quarterback. And and if Phil could take it and rise above it and play better and be motivated by it, well, then everybody else should be as well. It, it's textbook Parcells, which, again, does not surprise me, given the influence from Parcells to Belichick yep. to Judge. It's a very small world in the National Football League. On the subject of treatment of the quarterback, that brings us to something from yesterday's media session that stole headlines, but how context is important to fill in some of the voids in the holes. And we want to play you the entire Q&A portion from yesterday's media session revolving this storyline so you can fully understand it as opposed to just picking out a phrase or two. Tom Rock, who covers the Giants for Newsday, posed this very question to Joe Judge, and this is how he then followed with his response. Joe, I know some quarterbacks that uh, like to get that first hit out of the way in the preseason game. Is, is there any thought at all to uh, taking the red jersey off for Daniel at some point before yep. uh, September 14th? You know, we've talked about it. I mean, with quarterbacks, you want to go ahead and be calculated in how you start banging them around. Uh, I don't think we're going to throw him in any, you know, you know, Royal Rumbles or anything like that, but you know, at some point we'll pop his pads a little bit in a controlled environment. You know, maybe that's with, you know, a young guy who understands just kind of, you know, hitting him a little bit. But I'm not in a hurry to go ahead and just beat the hell out of him, Tom. But, you know, at some point we'll prepare his body for you may take him first game. So that was Joe Judge's response to the question, by the way, that was posed his way. That's why, obviously, it came up in terms of the red jersey. And this is, first of all, Paul, a challenge that every team is facing in terms of getting your players ready from a physical standpoint so that week one is not a rude awakening, even for veterans. Because let's think about this, Paul. There have been some veterans, okay, polished guys who have been through multiple years of service and training camps who have not played a meaningful game 
have not been on the field in a meaningful setting, you'd have to go back to December of 2019 if they didn't make the playoffs. There are then college athletes who have been drafted by NFL teams who also are in the same boat. They may have not made a bowl game. They have not played a meaningful, substantive game since December of 2019. So when you take into consideration near a full calendar year, it's understandable that a lot of coaches right now are trying to find the balance between keeping guys healthy, keeping guys ready to go, but also that it's not catch your player off guard week one because you didn't get them physically ready. Lance, I know you're fond of saying there are no necessarily right or wrong answers. There's only agrees or disagrees, but I have to be honest with you here. There's no way anybody's going to convince me that the NFL is better off without preseason games. I'm sorry. I just I I, won't, I don't disagree I, with you there. Yeah. I'm in line with you. Yeah. I was campaigning for at least one or two preseason games. Yeah, I, you don't have to I, convince I, me. I won't accept anybody who says to me that preseason games are meaningless, worthless, and they should not have them. And and believe me, there are people out there who feel that way. Uh, I I just no no. I, there's no way in the world you're going to convince me otherwise. And specifically, as we look at this 2020 Giants team, is there? I mean, even 10%, 2%, 1% doubt that they would be better off with preseason games. 100%. Anytime you can simulate game action, and also we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show, the benefit for guys on the bubble on the back end of the roster, there's a lot of benefits. Also, travel, coordination, and so forth. The reality is, though, Paul, they don't have the preseason game. No. So we could sit here, we could play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, we can have the wishful thinking. The bottom line is the reality is they don't have the preseason game. So then it goes into what Joe Judge was asked about. Is there a way to balance where you're preparing your team, but you're also maybe exposing them to a hit or two? Now, I don't think he literally meant, and this is where things were completely blown out of proportion, that he's going to... Tell his defensive playmakers, hey, guys, we're running a drill right now. It's called try to take Daniel Jones's head off and <laughs> split him up in multiple pieces. And until we get there, we won't stop this drill. I mean, come on. No, Let's no, be no, practical no, no. here. I think the idea was would we maybe tell a defensive player go a little full speed to get Daniel Jones to react, not hit him, but get him to respond to when you get a guy in your face, ball security, go through those fundamentals Paul, that they've been preaching throughout the course of camp? Well, I don't necessarily think it would be a bad idea during the scrimmage to have the pass rushers try to strip Jones. Of course. Okay? Maybe not necessarily, you know, plant his ribs into the ground, but but how about just telling the edge guys, when you get close to the quarterback, okay, we want to see you just go for the ball. Just go for the ball. Just try to yep. strip the ball. Maybe that's not such a bad thing to practice uh, Friday night when they're at MetLife Stadium. And by, and by the way, he mentioned that Coach Judge, Royal Rumble, was he a closet WWE fan? He may. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So are we going to get a little Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Ultimate Warrior with Daniel Jones? Is that what you're insinuating? Woo! <laughs> Never a hesitation to bring out some wrestling classic references, and hopefully our <laughs> listeners understood some of those references, too. Ooh, well, Paul yeah. goes a little bit further back. I'm 90s wrestling. I haven't watched it in decades. But, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Okay, now Ooh, we're really yeah. getting into it here. Snap yes. into a Slim Jim. <laughs> oh, boy, you never know. People, you never know what I'm you're going to get. I'm coming after you, Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, Miss Elizabeth Stane right here. 
Wow, okay. I didn't think we were going to get that type of reference. I don't know who you were impersonating there. I think I that the was the Macho Man. man. Yeah, I think yes, that's what no, that was. that I yes. got, but I didn't know when you threw in the Miss Elizabeth reference. It, it, you lost the Macho Man-ness okay. in all of that. Whatever. But uh, your, your passion certainly gets some brownie points with respect to that. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get a, a Rowdy Roddy Piper, the late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper reference, but uh, I think we'll survive as we move forward. But, yes, I did catch the Royal Rumble reference, which I thought was quite interesting. But this is, once again, a challenge for all coaching staffs, Paul. This is not just the Giants and getting Daniel Jones ready. This is any other team that has a young quarterback that is going to be thrown out there in week one. Do you feel as if the quarterback is ready to go without a preseason game and without feeling any hits? And keep in mind, Joe Judge was with Tom Brady. Okay, he was with him for many, many years in New England, and Brady's been on the record. And this is where I think that answer comes from because of his experience around Brady. Brady has said multiple times, Paul, he actually welcomes getting that first hit before the season starts. And he likes to get that hit in the preseason game just to get the juices flowing to know that, hey, the season is fast approaching. So you have to understand when coaches have these conversations with the media and so forth, they're speaking more often than not from previous experience. Mm -hmm. And if Brady, a veteran quarterback who's been in the trenches 10 times over, if he has had conversations with Joe Judge and he has spoken to Joe Judge while they were in New England together and has said, yeah, I like getting that hit in. It's not stunning to think that Joe Judge is remembering conversations he's had with Tom Brady, not to mention also Jerry Shuplinski, by the way, was with Tom Brady, okay, the Giants quarterback coach. So if they've been around this guy and that's his mentality, I can't say that it would be stunning if they ran that by Daniel Jones and said, hey, Daniel, we've had conversations with Tom. This is what Tom thinks. Curious your perspective. Is this something you're interested in doing? How do you think we can best approach it? Well, you remember talking to Eli for his 14-year NFL career, and Eli used to say, yeah, I'd like to play a little bit. You know, he didn't necessarily want to play four quarters in all four of the preseason games, but, but as far as Eli was concerned, he was very happy to get in there and take some snaps. So, you know, Brady's not the only one of these star quarterbacks in the last 25 years who kind of preferred that we go back to old school mentality and give these guys some reps. And that's why the overreaction, I think, that comes into play is simply because everybody is of the mindset, at least from the fan standpoint, preservation, right? And especially with the news, of course, that we're talking about McKinney getting hurt and having the leg injury that's going to lead to surgery Everybody feels as if we should wrap these guys in bubble wrap, Paul, whether it be in practice or the preseason. But I want to bring up something that is related to this because it reminded me of conversations that you and I previously have had on this program. And it goes right into what Joe Judge was talking about with Daniel Jones and the fear that comes with that. How many times do we have conversations about, I don't want to see this guy return punts who's a wide receiver? Or... I don't want to see him return kickoffs. Why? Because you're exposing him to more hits. And right. what is my response, Paul, more often than not? You could get hurt on any given play in the yes. NFL. Your wide receiver could get hurt on the first route that he runs in week one, or he get hurt in the second series in the third preseason game. If you coach scared, if you operate scared in the NFL, you're not going to help your cause at all. You can't be overly protective when any given moment – over the course of the preseason, practice, and the regular season, or during the week when you're getting ready for a game, injuries are going to happen. It's probably the one guarantee in today's NFL. So 
I don't fault any coaches or any players who want more reps, who want to take on hits, if that puts them in the best position to succeed during the course of a season. You know, this comes under the heading that everybody gets to be treated differently because there is no right blanket answer across the board. Because the truth of the matter is, we've talked about Eli, we've talked about Tom Brady, we've talked about, the, I guess, the Patriot way. The truth of the matter is, there are players in this league who want nothing to do with the preseason and would just assume not even dress for the, for the darn game. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that those guys, however many years of experience they have in the league, you know, don't have a right to prepare how they need to prepare. And if they don't think they need it, fine. I'll, I'll go for that argument. But from a GM or coach's perspective, I will never agree that zero preseason snaps are the way to go. But a player certainly has the right to feel that way if he wants to. No doubt about it. And I think if you ask most general managers and coaches, just as the negotiations panned out over the last few weeks leading up to the start of training camp, most coaches and executives wanted a preseason game. I think if you ask most of them, they are of the mindset that it's extremely beneficial. But once again, we were balancing the coronavirus. We were balancing the need for travel when it's not a meaningful game in the standings. I understand why the decision was made. But in an ideal world... Yeah, executives, scouts, coaches, of course they want preseason games. If you've had an opportunity, I don't know if you caught some of Hard Knocks, they're looking at the Chargers and the Rams this year, Paul, and even Anthony Lynn and Sean McVay. There's been glimpses over the course of the program where you know they're talking with their assistants and saying, you know, it's going to be a challenge to identify some of the guys that we had noticed jumped off the film in previous years. Perfect example, not to get on a whole tangent here, but... The Chargers were talking about Austin Eckler, who's now their starting running back because Melvin Gordon's yes. with the Broncos. And Eckler, the year that he made the roster, Eckler wowed them in the preseason, Paul. And he was wiggling in and out of traffic as a running back. He actually, on a punt return attempt for the opposition, chased down a guy and tackled him. And they were talking about how if Austin Eckler didn't have preseason games that year and they didn't notice him, he probably doesn't make the roster. Maybe he gets on the practice squad. So the conversation that you're getting into is going on across the NFL. It's not just the Giants. I know we're operating in this bubble because we're focusing on this team, but what is impacting the Giants is impacting the 31 other teams across the NFL. Look, we don't even have to go all the way over to the West Coast to talk about the, the topic that you just addressed. There was a guy named Victor Cruz here who without a three-touchdown catch at a preseason game against the Jets – no matter what he did during training camp, it was not going to have the impact on his chances that that particular game had on his life. Period. End of story. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. The big news surrounding the New York Giants, safety Xavier McKinney, team's second-round draft pick out of Alabama, suffered a fracture to his left foot. He's scheduled to undergo surgery later this afternoon. David Mayo will have surgery tomorrow, the linebacker with a torn meniscus in his left knee. So the Giants take a hit on the defensive side of the ball. We're discussing the implications of that in the short term as well as the long term. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. You can tweet at us directly as well, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Let's head back to the phone lines. Charlie joins us in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Hi. Hey, uh, I know, bad, bad news. Uh, what I'm wondering is, 
are we going to go out and get a safety? I mean, there's two good ones out there. Earl Thomas, which I know we won't go after, but Logan Ryan's still out there. Or is there somebody on this team right now that you see? Uh, I, mean, I think most of them are rookies or maybe a year or two in the league at most that uh, that will step up and be that other safety. I know we got Love and Peppers, but who's the third guy going to be? Or the fourth guy, at least the third guy. So what do you think uh, we're going to do? Well, Paul threw out Sean Chandler earlier, and he sort of gets lost in the conversation. Chandler's somebody that has played oh, a few right. seasons for the Giants. Yeah. So yeah. he yeah. very well is in the equation. And we brought up a number of corners that they could very well experiment at the safety position. I would not be surprised if the Giants entertain the free agent market. I think they've done that already over the course of training camp when they've lost players at other positions. So I would think when you hear McKinney's down and you don't know how much time, if somebody catches their eye, no, I don't think that's necessarily a stretch or a surprise. I think any team would want to be doing their due diligence, especially if they're concerned about maybe not having somebody that could step in immediately and they'd prefer to have a veteran mentor some of the younger guys. I don't think that's crazy at all. I know, but we've been kind of just getting undrafted free agents, more special team guys. So I'm hoping for the safety we go after somebody, some veteran that can actually step right in and play. Uh, I think, you know, linebacker-wise, I think we got enough depth. Uh, I know Mayo is good. You know, he's a good special team guy, and he could fill in. But I think we got some guys there that uh, can fill in that position. So, you know, I'm not too concerned about the linebackers as much. But uh, so we'll see what uh, Gettleman does. I don't know. But, hey, I, one thing, though, if they want anyone to hit Jones, I'll, I'll gladly volunteer to do that. Now, that's <laughs> something I could get behind. We'll absolutely recommend that to the front office <laughs> compared to any of your other previous recommendations. See, Lance, I'm surprised you didn't just, like, vote for that opportunity to see uh, Charlie go up against Andrew Thomas. <laughs> I'm all for it. We can bring him down tomorrow. I will sign up for that every single day of the week and twice on Sunday if Charlie is willing to sacrifice his body for the well-being of the team. You know, Charlie actually does have a decent idea, though, Lance, and I have to give him a, a little bit of, uh, of credit on this one. You know, you mentioned Logan Ryan. We kind of ruled him out in the, in the cornerback situation because Ryan and his agent had made it kind of known around the league that he was thinking of himself as a safety well, now the Giants look like they could be potentially in the market for a safety. Well, now Logan Ryan maybe gets interjected into that conversation a little bit more than he might have been otherwise. Well, plus Joe Judge knows him. I believe he may have crossed paths with Patrick Graham in New England, too. So, you know, you're talking about two guys that have influential positions on the coaching staff that have some familiarity with him. Yeah, from that standpoint, once again, he would be a name that certainly comes to mind. And just to be clear, this is just us speculating and having a conversation. None soever evidence that ties Logan Ryan to the Giants. I want to make that crystal clear. We're just speculating and talking about potential free agents out there if the Giants decide to go in that direction. And we appreciate, Charlie, you weighing in and actually bringing some sense to the conversation for once in a very long time here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But we've seen, Paul... 
the Giants, as I mentioned, tap into the free agent market. I know that there are reports, nothing's official, of course, Brandon Williams, former Cardinals corner, that the Giants intend to sign, assuming everything goes okay with the physical as well as the COVID testing. So there is a veteran free agent that's out there, and they've had some injuries at the cornerback position that they're hoping to bring into the mix. So they could certainly tap into that well at the safety position. Well, Brandon Williams is a special teams guy. Uh, make no mistake about that. That's where he's made his bread and butter in the National Football League. So I would hesitate to think that uh, if if things follow through with the Giants, that he's going to be viewed as much more than that. Well, he's had some play at cornerback, and he did not play in the NFL last year because he was hurt. He was on IR the entire mm-hmm. season. So whether or not he has a notable role as a cornerback, that remains to be seen. He's an option there, though. If well, he's, he's basically, but his best, his best trait on the field is as a gunner. Well, and they just lost Cody Core. So that's it makes my sense. point. Yeah, that's that my you'd point. want to bring in somebody like that to he, he help slots that there very, very well. He, he could yeah. fit comfortably into those shoes. I, I suspect that's probably what they want him for. Now, if they get any more than that out of him, potentially that's gravy, I guess. I would agree with you. I think that's icing on the cake. But remember, it goes back to, I think, something interesting that Thomas McGahey brought up because, you know, we didn't really tap into what he had mentioned during his media session. And one of the things he talked about, Paul, was he was asked about, well, what happens if your kicker or your punter test positive for the coronavirus on Friday or Saturday before a game. So Thomas McGahey said, well, Graham Gano, first of all, was an excellent punter in college his Mm -hmm. first two years at Florida State and also has punted at Carolina. And what McGahey was emphasizing is we've got to cross-train these guys and we also need to ask players what they did in high school and college and maybe have them dust the rust off a little bit so that in the event we need to call on them to do that, we could get them to assume those roles. So when we're talking about a guy like Brandon Williams, for example, he may not be asked to be a corner, but it's certainly going to be a note on the depth chart and on the roster that in the event of injury, he could be thrown into that position. Yeah, I I understand, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in, inject him into the competition. Let's see what he's got. And, hey, look, if the guy earns a spot and, and can play some snaps out there, by all means – let them do it. I mean, the Giants the Giants are not so good at every position where they can't look at other options if somebody is good enough to take the spot. Uh, and by the way, I just should mention, Riley Dixon at Syracuse did not place kick at all. He was exclusively a punter. So while that does work for Gano if he needs to punt, Riley Dixon was not a kickoff uh, or a field goal guy at, uh, at Syracuse, just in case anybody wanted to know. That's why I'm sure they're asking anybody else on the roster if they may have had some kicking duties in high school or at some point in their careers, they may want to once again get the leg ready if need be. So that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Some injury news of note for the Giants as they are going to now have to move forward without McKinney and Mayo in the lineup. Stay locked to Giants.com, of course, for all the latest news and notes. Paul, enjoy the conversation. Look forward to doing it again later this week. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon, Lance. Absolutely. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks to the callers, thanks to the listeners, and thanks to the tweeters as well as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. New episode up and running tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. For Paul, I'm Lance. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We're signing off. Have a good one.